0: Welcome to Reading Between the Reels. I'm Matt Leader,
1: And I'm Craig Dickinson. Today on the show, we are looking at The Force Awakens, which, as you know, if you're listening to the show, it's the long-awaited sequel to the original Star Wars trilogy. It's also the first Star Wars film of the Disney era, and the first that was produced without the involvement of George Lucas. That's a lot of boxes to check. So we're going to take a closer look at Episode 7 today. Uh, discuss its strengths, weaknesses, and try and determine whether or not the film lives up to the legacy of its predecessors. So let's start with Matt, what's your, what are your overall thoughts on on The Force Awakens on this rewatch?
0: So I have to start out with overall thoughts being that this was my most anticipated movie that I've ever had in my life. When I first saw the trailer drop, I watched it about 15 times that first day kept replaying it the all the trailers I should say are are quite stunning and it leads into kind of a movie that I both love and I'm slightly annoyed at and and there's there's really a ton to love in this movie uh, the character work I think JJ Abrams brings a a kind of kinetic cinematography and directing style that's just full of energy which I think is really refreshing, and I was thinking about this when, on, during the rewatch. You know, I was one of the one of the big fears is, you know, is Star Wars even relevant this time? Is it, you know, can it capture the same magic that the original trilogy did? Um, because there were a number of people, and I kind of count myself as one of them that were a little disappointed with the prequels. There were things that I loved about them, but there were also flaws that I, I can't overlook. And this really addresses some of the flaws I felt from the prequel movies. Um, there's just a, a kinetic energy. there's wonderful character work. Uh, the script by Abrams and Kasdan, I think is electric. But that's also where I, I, I get slightly annoyed with this film because ultimately I'm a little let down by the big the big picture of the of the plot, where we have, what amounts to essentially a bigger Death Star uh, in this movie. And in the context, in the real-world context that this film is released in, I'm much more willing to forgive it. Um, You know, like I said, people, people were worried about this film. They were worried if Abrams could deliver a Star Wars film that felt like a Star Wars film. And, you know, they wondered, you know if it would be a, a decent movie and would it be different than the prequels? And, you know, how, how are they going to handle the returning stars, Mark Hamill, and, you know, Harrison and Carrie Fisher? You know, what are they going to do with them? There are a lot of questions going into it. And so I think both Kazan and Abrams felt a little bit more comfortable throwing a pitch right down the middle, a very familiar storyline. And that's kind of the big gripe with this movie is that it feels very, very similar to A New Hope. And it is in the big picture plot sense, and I, I think Disney was going for a home run, and I I think they hit it. I, I think they hit the pitch and and sent it over the outfield wall. What do you think? So this time
1: through, you know, a lot of what you said, I agree with. I think the character work is is fantastic. You know, we we've talked about this, and we will continually talk about how the characterization of like Ray, for instance. Uh, is so beautifully done without dialogue. You get to know these characters really, really quickly. But I do think, on this view, and it really made it clear to me that the plot is pretty thin. That you have these great pieces that you're putting on the board, but you're not doing a whole lot with them. And, you know, it it clearly it comes at a place, it it is uh, something we wanted a lot. You know, it's, it's 30 years after Return of the Jedi. I mean, that's how long we've been waiting for a sequel. And to see you know, to see the big three, to see Harrison Ford, Carrie Fisher, Mark Hamill back on screen again, you know, there's a, an undeniable thirst for that. So it's, it's kind of like if, as long as you're, they're in there and it's like, even with that, like you just barely got Luke in the in the movie, uh, you're going to, you're going to be successful if you have those things. I wonder though, about the longevity of it, some of the things, and we'll get into it as, as, as we get deeper into this episode. Um, it felt like it had a lot of promise um, uh, but it didn't quite deliver on some things and I'm not sure if certain things, uh, held up as well as, as I w- wanted them to. Uh, and like I said, we'll, we'll get into that a little bit deeper. It is a fun movie. I will undeniably say that, uh, that it is a lot of fun and it's interesting because I've been watching, uh, the original trilogy and the prequels at school. And so I'm ha- literally having this, I'm immersed in, I'm watching these like four times a day, uh, immersed in that style, you know, in those movies, And then I have a direct contrast um, to what's going on with uh, The Force Awakens. And it's probably a very easy comparison to make, but to me, uh, I was kind of struck by, you know, it reminds me of when Abrams rebooted Star Trek a little bit, where it's technically in the same universe. You know, they have, you know, Leonard Nimoy shows up, but it also is, it's disconnected in a way too, where there's, there's a little bit of a mental gymnastics they have to do. Okay. This is how this fits. Where it doesn't to me, at this point, it doesn't feel as organic of a sequel, uh as even to me, the, even the prequels felt as an organic piece of uh of the Star Wars saga. And I'm not sure how much that is the Lucas influence or the new blood coming in, some of its uh some of the visuals, which we, we I think we both agree are fantastic, uh th- but they're new. And so that's a thing too, where it's like, well, newer and is newer better. Like seeing these. Camera moves, and you know, there's there's less wipes in this one, and just certain things that feels more modern. And I'm not saying that's bad, but it feels a little jarring after being kind of saturated uh, in in the original trilogy and also the prequel trilogy, which you know, ten years earlier than what this film was.
0: I think that's a really interesting point about his Star Trek reboot because I also loved at least the first Star Trek reboot. Um, other than the migraines I got from all the lens flares which he managed to rein in. Um, but that that's also just like a really fun movie. And some people complained, and I think rightfully so, that it was more of a Star Wars than a Star Trek, um, at least thematically. And, you know, kind of, you could have the themes from Star Trek with a more uh, slick and, and modern cinematography style. And that's not really the direction that Abrams went with. It, it was more of an action film. I do think, though, that, You know, you you talked about the wipes. That's a very, very glaring absence in Force Awakens. I do, however, think that Abrams does a really good job with his composition and the framing, especially early on in the film. Uh, There are a couple of shots that are absolutely gorgeous. The one that always sticks in my mind is the the sunset shot with the TIE fighters coming in. It's very brief, uh, but I think it's just one of the most gorgeous shots in any Star Wars film but I, I think more of the composition early in the film, when Ray is uh, first introduced and you see her out in the desert and you see how vast and how lonely she is. And I could talk all day about the introduction. So I will, but uh, <laughs> but the um, I just love that. Abrams kind of reintroduced this main character in a very similar way to luke uh with with the cinematography style of you know these vast lonely shots and you see in the original star wars and in i think the original trilogy trilogy overall they have a lot of really wide shots and they really use that composition to reinforce the character the character's emotions the loneliness on hoth the loneliness on tatooine and i I don't seem to recall as much of that in the prequel movies. And I could be wrong, but I do believe that there are more wide shots in the original trilogy, especially ones that like line up with the characters feeling this sense of abandonment or loneliness that I think is one of the key themes and and moods of early uh, Star Wars, as in chronologically early.
1: Yeah, no, that makes sense. And and I'm thinking about the fact that the Ray doesn't say anything until BB-8 shows up. Yeah. When he's in the net. You know, we've
0: seen her on screen for a couple of minutes. I'm not sure how long it is exactly. I timed it this time. <laughs> it, it's it's almost exactly four minutes and 30 seconds. I was going to say, it seems like five minutes. The the only dialogue is Uncar Plot, his one right. line. There's no other dialogue. Other and she that. doesn't say anything back to him. Nope. Right? Not this time. Uh,
1: so... You know, thinking of of the those shots, those kind of lonely shots. You know, there's a couple of beautiful ones early on. I uh, I love. It's really good, they're kind of framed around the Unkar Plot thing too. Uh, is that you have the I think just iconic shot of her going across the stand in front of the down Star Destroyer. Well, I remember that was in the trailer too. I mean, what a great way to without any exposition, just like there's a dar- down Star Destroyer, and if you look closely, there's a you know in the foreground there's an X-wing too that. Like, there was a massive battle here, and it's been a while. You know, you have the things also of, of, uh, there's the bird's eye view of looking down on her, you know, her house, for lack of a better term, of the ADAT, right? Where you have just these kind of shortcut ways of saying, here's these massive things that you're familiar with, and they're in this, you know, this this state of disarray uh, to just to really... Set the the world right. To Set our place in the world without having to say, "Hey, it's been thirty years." Like, of course it has. We we know that. We doesn't even if it's not thirty, we can figure out it's been a while. This planet has been ravaged, and these people are, you know, just trying to pick something good out of this war, um, which is an interesting metaphor as well. Um, and you know, this movie is a lot about you know how to dealing with the past, and really, I guess the, the sequel trilogy as a whole. Is is what what are you going to do with the past, and how do you, do you hang on to it, do you move on, do you let the past die? As we'll get to um, in
0: our next episode. Just to add on to that, you know, because that 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 visual of the downed star destroyers grabbed me as well. The thing that popped into my mind is they're almost like giant dinosaur bones sticking up out of the sand, and you know they're in the background, and you get a sense of scale, which is really important in Star Wars. But you also get this sense of that in universe history having happened, like you mentioned, which is a fantastic piece of background storytelling because it's a loaded image. When you see this completely decrepit and broken down Star Destroyer, automatically the audience minds are running, what happened? You know. And I hate to bring up the whole mystery box thing, but it is kind of true. It is kind of creating a mystery, a sense of of question of what happened like why you know you you said you know there there clearly was this massive battle but you know who won and what what happened because there's such this large in-universe time gap there yeah
1: a couple other shots that i think tell the story really well is uh the the scene where han is stuck between the guavian death king and conjure club where he's literally in the middle I love that and watching him back and forth. I mean, that's just it's staged so so beautifully. See, he really is caught between, you know, a rock and a hard place, uh, that type of thing. Uh and the you know, the camera moves, uh, especially I love that sequence where the Millennium Falcon's going being chased by the TIE Fighters uh and goes into the Superstar Destroyer. And it's such a dynamic. I still like I've seen it, I don't know how many times I've seen it, but it still gives me chills to watch that that sequence. It's so dynamic. It's so exciting. And then when she just flips it and, and uh, Finn takes out that TIE fighter, it's just, it's so beautifully shot. And, you know, it's so loud, uh, which is interesting too, because we hadn't heard, um, you know, the Falcon's blasters in atmosphere either. So uh, those two things kind of just combined. It's, it's new, but,
0: but familiar at the same time. The word I wrote down, because I had that same, same sequence, is kinetic. The filmmaking felt so kinetic and energetic And there's that moment in the first trailer, too, of the Falcon and that that Tie Fighter chase scene and which is one that grabbed me immediately. It feels like you're on a roller coaster in that sequence. And that's part of the film that I absolutely adore is that that fun sense of we're on a ride and I'm excited to see where we go at, at that point in the film.
1: Yeah, another part of, of that, uh, a similar sequence, uh, is the you know the one hell of a pilot sequence where you the camera tracks and it's you know I don't think I noticed that the first couple of times I saw it just how effectively the camera follows Poe and how many different uh, Tie Fighters he's destroying this whole way through. is such a beautiful shot. Uh, it's so dynamic. But you know, there's one there's one shot that's dynamic, for lack of a better term, that I don't like, and it's going through. Maz Kanata's castle to me it's always been too fast I want it to linger and I know it's inevitably it's going to get compared to the cantina scene uh, in A New Hope and you know what I think that even the cantina scene has, it's kind of quickly going through but it, there's more interspersed of single shots of tables and like I just want to see everything and it's like I know these guys spent so much time creating these characters in these costumes I want to see everything You know, I I think that's part of, you know, just being an original trilogy kid too, right? Because like, hey, there's Hammerhead and there's that action figure and there's that guy. And when I watch this, and I know they did make figures of some of these people, um, like the Wolf Brothers, I can't remember exactly what they're called. um, But it feels like there could have been more of that. We're like, show off the things that you did. Give us just a little bit more of that world building. And I think that there is this tension, um, you know, that JJ's trying to move the story along. And so there's certain choices that you have to make. Well, I could spend more time here, but I really want to move things along. And so, I mean, in any film, that's what you're going to have to do when you get to editing, right? You're going to have to decide, all right, do I need this or can I I let it go? What's the ultimate purpose I'm trying to get to? Uh, But that's just one thing that I've always – it always struck me as I wish it was a little slower, which is kind of weird, right? But can you linger just a little bit more here? I want to see what's going on there. Maybe hear a conversation here or there um, at some of these tables.
0: Well, I think that speaks to a larger stylistic choice of Abrams, which is that his, his films are very pacey. They, they move along at a very quick clip. And that is one danger you have of, of that kind of more modern, fast-paced movie-making style, is that you do kind of end up losing some of those quieter moments of world-building, of character exploration. And I think it's well-balanced in this movie. And I think without going too far ahead, you know, this is like a good cup of coffee versus like chugging five Red Bulls in Rise of Skywalker. Like the pace is frenetic in that film. But you can already see little moments where, you know, I know exactly what you mean, where it's like, I kind of want to linger. I want to stay a little bit longer. And nope, we're on to the next part. Yeah. But there's another moment in there of camera work when Finn is trying to run away and he's talking to uh, Ray about like his reasons why. And it's very simple setup, but you have Ray standing above Finn and that's how the camera shoots him is Finn on the lower ground and Ray on the upper ground. And, you know, that very clearly correlates to the moral, the moral high ground, moral low ground that Finn is being a coward and, you know, letting the letting his fear get the best of him which he overcomes very quickly. But in that moment, you know, he's looking up at Ray. And I think that's just a nice little piece of camera work there.
1: Yeah, you know, I I had that written too, uh, because I really noticed this time how carefully it was staged. Like they literally kind of do like a little half circle to get into position for that too. It's not, I mean, the camera angle, yes, does do that, but it's not just camera angle. Like they literally get into a place where she is higher up than he is when they were at the same level before. Um, So I think that's, that's fascinating. It is. Absolutely. Uh, one last thing that I wanted to say about um, being too quick because, you know, there's lots of good. There's some things I, I would change as well uh, is the shot of Hosnian Prime Yeah. when you see the people on the balcony. And this is a thing a lot of people have talked about is give us more of that because I don't care who those people are. And I know that there is – and there's a deleted scene with uh, – I believe her name is Corsella um, – She's the the primary woman right in the front there. She's a, uh, an aide for, for Leia. And they have a scene earlier in the film that's cut for time and pacing and everything else. But we don't even know who this person is unless you've gotten into it. And She's in the books and things like that, you know, in the in extended the material. And you can watch the deleted scene. It's on the Blu-ray. But that's a thing where we kind of sacrifice the politics, right? Because I think some of it's a little bit of a pendulum thing. Like, there's a lot of politics in the prequels. Well, let's just kind of move past that. But... You need a little bit of that just to let us know who these people are, why it's important. It's, I mean, yeah, it's bad people died. Of course it's bad. But why should we care beyond that? And I think that's a thing that could have been done a little bit differently. And I think that that's a thing that a lot of people have agreed. Filmmakers and fans have both said, yeah, in, in hindsight, maybe we should have, you know, give a little bit more there.
0: Well, I think that strikes right to the heart of my biggest complaint, which is that you know, that in that the Hosnian prime scene perfectly illustrates it is you're right. I don't know who these people are and I don't really care. I, I think I probably should, but I don't. And I think that's one of the issues is that instead of focusing on personal stakes for the characters that we do really like uh, a big chunk of the later half, of the movie is kind of taken over by Starkiller base and, this battle that is very reminiscent of the battle from a new hope involving characters that I don't really care about a ton. And I just feel like they, you know, they, they did such amazing character work at the beginning. And I really like these characters. I wish we would have had a slightly smaller story in terms of scope and, you know, of in scope of the plot. And I think the perfect illustration of that for me is, uh, um, Han's death, you know, that is the perfect example of personal stakes. Um, and I think it was fantastic. You know, we both know that Harrison Ford, you know, famously kind of wanted his character to die off uh, after Empire Strikes Back. And, uh, you know, people have have thought that maybe, you know, one condition of him returning to these, these sequel films was that his character actually dies. But I think it's perfect. I think it's beautiful, uh, and there's several different things about this this scene that I love. The first thing is just from a narrative perspective, his death actually means something, and it is shocking, but it's not shocking just to surprise us. It actually means something for the characters. Uh, it means something for Ray in particular because he has very much become the mentor figure that Ray, you know, has desired for her whole life. But it also means a ton for Kylo because that whole scene right there is really him struggling between the light and the dark side, between his greater and and lesser, you know, selves. And, you know, in particular, the lighting in that scene is is one of my favorite things uh, to show students. Throughout the whole film, Abrams plays with blue and red, and it's a very simple dichotomy but I think it works really well, especially for Star Wars, because in the end, it is so simple. I I love this about Kylo's mask, is there's so much chrome on it, and throughout the whole film, it reflects so much light. Uh, In the scene when Kylo is torturing Poe, Kylo has red light reflecting off of him, and Poe is kind of shadowed in blue light. On the bridge, um, you have, like I think it's a window or something, with this light shaft coming down, And Kylo's face is quite literally lit on one half in blue and on the other half in red, easily symbolizing the split nature he has inside of him. And the moment when he's clutching his lightsaber and he makes the decision, he tightens his hand, there's a close-up shot of it, and he's going to kill Han. The light shuts off, the blue light on his face disappears, and he's left only in red and shadow. And it's like, it's so simple but that's awesome. It works so well for Star Wars. I love that.
1: Yeah, no, I, I agree. And you know, I can, as you're saying that, I can hear it too, you know, the the sound of the lightsaber and you know, we talk about sound effects sometimes trying to figure out what's the meaning of that. Kylo's lightsaber is so distinctive and it's just angry. You know, I can hear that and then the music that just pops in as that happens cuz there's nothing there's no music in that scene until the light goes out and you have that great line too. You know, it happens early. We got a chance as long as there's light posts, something about that. And then there's no light literally. And then, you know, things change and he just thrust that lightsaber into Han. And it's just so angry and just so brutal because it's been so quiet too. It's like I said, it's, it's not surprising because you, you can kind of see it coming in because he's the mentor. You're expecting that to happen. And also of course, Harrison Ford wanted to die and you're kind of like, yeah, I get it. So it's built, it's built in. So it, it feels like a payoff more than a shock, right? But the sound is so aggressive and so out of nowhere, out of the silence, that it's still shocking, uh, at least
0: to the senses. Well, speaking of speaking of Kylo, is he the best character in the sequel trilogy? I would say yes, because and so here's the thing:
1: we talked about the characters. Uh, I think we get to know the characters pretty well. I don't know if we care about the characters that much, the new ones. Does that make sense? I disagree, but keep going. Like, okay, so I feel like I have a pretty good handle on who Finn is, but I don't really care. I have a pretty good idea who Poe is. I also don't really care. Not in the same way that I care about Han, Luke, and Leia. I like Ray a lot. I care about what happens to Ray. I like Kylo a lot, and I think he's fascinating. I think his whole... His backstory is interesting. I think that it's, it's realistic too. I love that they made him a Darth Vader fanboy because you have to, you're doing this in the shadow of Vader, no matter what. He is the most iconic Star Wars villain, maybe most iconic movie villain, period. So following in his footsteps, it makes sense to kind of go the meta route of, well, let's just make him a fanboy. He, he's clearly going to be a ripoff of him. So let's just play into that. Right? Let's let's make that happen. And to see, you know, his his parents are. Han freaking Solo and Princess Leia. Like, there's a lot to live up to there. You know, that's a lot of pressure to put on a kid. Of course he'd be easily manipulated to, no, you know what? They don't care about you. You're never going to live up, so you might as well take this other path. So I care about him, and I care about Ray's situation too. But the others, I don't. So I'm curious to hear,
0: like, what, where you disagree on that. Yeah, I, I think I see where you're coming from. For me, it, and I do agree, I think they do a pretty good job of establishing the characters for, you know, you know, the first film in what we knew was going to be a trilogy. I think that Poe is probably the most one-note of the main characters in this film. And I, I would say I care about him the least. I think he's fun. I think he's well-acted. Um, and I think he gets more depth in The Last Jedi. Um i thought it was really fascinating the choices they made for finn having him be a stormtrooper who defects i think is super fascinating it's super interesting and i really was excited to see uh, where he went in the rest of the trilogy so i really i really cared about finn i i wish they would he would have had more of an arc in the first film i wish he would have come a little bit farther but I like it was enough of an arc where I saw the direction it was headed. I don't know if the payoff was there in the later films, but it's like the start was good. And I, I saw where it was going, and I saw what they were doing. I like that. I agree. I like Ray. I think she's a great uh, character. Someone somewhere compared her to like – she's like a Disney princess in Star Wars. And I think that's like a really, really good description of her. She's got a kind of innocence – that I don't think we necessarily see in any other female characters in Star Wars. But there's also a strength in that innocence where she's ready to believe in things. She's got a faith that is kind of unshakable in some ways. And I think that's a really, it's a really different set of characteristics than any other character in Star Wars. Kylo's amazing. I think the the emotion that he shows when he is having his freak out and slashing his lightsaber on like the control consoles and everything in in the star destroyer that he's in, I think there's like little moments like that are fantastic. I love the fact, like you said, that he's a Vader fanboy. Looking back, it's brilliant. Uh, I I think there's there's just multiple levels of fun that you can have with that kind of meta storytelling right there. So I I can kind of see on Poe, <laughs> I guess <laughs> is what I would say. Yeah. But I, I do care about Finn and Rey and and Kylo and, and their story going forward and Poe Moore in the you know in The Last Jedi. I was just excited that we got good characters, you know. And one thing that I was thinking for all the actors, they're very emotive. They emote a ton in this movie. All of them, even Kylo, because the one thing about Vader is, especially with his mask on, you can't really see him that much, right? And um, Adam Driver emotes so well, even in the full Kylo, you know, setup. And part of that is writing it that way, where he has those moments to lash out in violence. You get a very strong sense of who he is, even with all that stuff on. Then, of course, the mask comes off in some of the more tense scenes later in the film. So... I thought they did a really good job. I was really excited to see where these characters were going to end up later on, especially with Finn grabbing the lightsaber, because there's a question of, is he force-sensitive? And maybe we still have that question still. <laughs> so, yeah, d- just to build off of
1: that. So I had t- two thoughts. As as you are talking, I, I thought of a couple things, because I maybe I was a little harsh. But I think... Um, The part of my thing with Finn is that I do think that he's force sensitive. I think it's pretty clear that he is. I think that's what you're getting or you're supposed to get at the beginning, that first scene where he stops and he doesn't fire. And then you see Kylo turn. That's the way I read it now. And especially because we have further context. So that's good, but it's also bad because I see the, the potential of that character. I think he's hilarious. I think he is a different type of character than we've had in Star Wars to this point. But there's not the payoff with him. And this is, I think, a common critique that we've had with Finn. And when we get to last, I think Last Jedi is probably his strongest movie. Um, But in this one, it's like they set him up for like the first third of this movie. And then it just, it doesn't pay off for me. Like you had so many things. And some of it's in the marketing too, where like he's got the lightsaber. And you're like, he's totally going to be like this new Jedi force sensitive character. And I would have appreciated a little bit more of building into that to kind of hint at that a little bit more i think that would have been a really interesting beat to maybe have two force sensitives that showed up on the light side especially coming you know from the first order coming from the bad side and he could have been potentially you know he could have been kylo's apprentice or what have you that that would have been an interesting angle to have left that but something else that just struck me too is you know finn doesn't have a theme song finn doesn't have a light motif, which you know not everybody has one that's fine but ray does and hers is amazing. And I think that's a big part of it, too. Again, with characterization and not hearing her speak, but getting to know who she is by what she does. And that music is magical. With the Celeste at the Bells, it's like it reminds me of Christmas, partly because the movie came out around Christmas, too, but there, like, there's a magic to it. And Kylo's theme is so amazing, too. It's just, you know, it's it's got little hints of the Imperial March in it, and it's just really memorable. You can hear it, it's overbearing. Um, you know, but Poe has a theme too, which is interesting, right? Cause Poe was supposed to die in the earlier drafts, right? Poe died and, and then we decided we were going to keep him, keep him around. So I think that for me, some of it is, I really like your music. So I care about you. If that makes sense.
0: It makes complete sense.
1: Was when I listened, when I watched this movie, uh, the first time and every time since, but really the first time I'm like, okay, I'm waiting to hear the force theme and it's there and I want to hear Han and Leia's theme. And I love when they, you know, when when you first see Princess Leia, you hear Leia's theme. And then when three Pio leaves, now you get to hear Han and Leia's theme together. And so you're getting these hints of things, you know, you hear that and you're like, it's Empire Strikes Back. And so you're kind of playing on the nostalgia of that. But what I think is amazing is that you do have these classic themes that have been around for 30 plus years. And I think that Honestly, I think Ray's and Kylo's theme hold up to those. I think they're just as good and just as memorable, which I think leads right into why I care about those characters as much.
0: I I agree 100% that those two leitmotifs are magical. They're fantastic. And I agree with everything you said about them. And it it is kind of weird how Ray's theme feels Christmassy, but it's like not Christmas music but it does. And I do think you're right. I think there's just a little bit of a magical, magical touch to it. And I don't know what, what that is. You know, as teachers, we talk about tone and mood with our students. And we, you know, one thing we say to look for in, in writing is word choice, right? And an author's word choice is how, is one way, at least you can kind of tell what the mood of a story is. And I think for movies, it comes through your soundtrack I think if you just played any soundtrack to a movie and just listened to it without seeing anything, you could probably tell what the tone of the movie is. And I do think that it's telling that Finn doesn't have a theme, which is kind of weird. I, that's not something I noticed, but that would be really odd. <laughs> if Because he's clearly one of the main characters. And that's, you know, leitmotif is is really, really big in Star Wars. And I think the fact that, you know, you have this kind of magical, playful in my mind, innocent theme with Rey is kind of endearing. And you have this big bombastic theme with with Kylo, which is intimidating. And, you know, what do you have for Finn? And I do agree with you that the payoff I think the payoff was there in the in the battle in the forest. I think that that Finn had a payoff. It it wasn't anywhere near Ray's. And it, it, it paled in comparison to Ray's payoff, uh, where she finally channels the force and fends Kylo off right at the end, which is also beautifully shot with, with the blue and the red uh, reflecting in her eyes and stuff. But I do think that Finn kind of got the short end of the stick as, as, as far as narrative in this, in this movie.
1: So, speaking of performance, this movie's hilarious. That's one thing that I took away from the beginning, you know, when, and you're not expecting it to happen right away. And it happens in like in the first 10 minutes where where Poe is captured by Kylo and he has the great line about, oh, okay. So who talks first? You talk first. Like, I remember laughing out loud when that happened because it breaks the tension so beautifully Uh, and it feels organic, right? Like he's this cocky pilot. Of course he would be talking smack in this situation. You know, he's deflecting uh, with humor. And you know Finn has that same thing like why are you helping me? He's like because it's the right thing to do, and he's, he just looks at him like come on you need a pilot, yeah I need a pilot. So it's there's so many funny things in there. It's so funny that you know you've, you've noticed the part where uh, where Finn is claiming to be resistance to when he's talking to Ray, and she's stifling a laugh, and they leave it in. I love that they left it in <laughs> where it's like yeah apparently Ray doesn't quite believe him, or she's just overwhelmed, or it's just such a natural reaction. That they leave that take in there, but I always look for that. I think that's great. Uh, I have some quibbles though with with the dialogue. Uh, it drives me nuts. There's two things with Maz and Han to just every time. Um, you know, she walks away. She goes. She Ray goes. She's gonna head and the head downstairs to go check out the lightsaber. We don't know. She doesn't know what that is yet, but we do. Uh, and Maz says, "Who's the girl?" And they cut away. Like, come on. You're just moving things on. And this is that frenetic pace, you know, the J.J. Abrams thing. And then later on where, you know, Moz mentions the lightsaber to Han. It's like, yeah, that's a story for another time. Like, you have time now. Take a sentence. Like, take two seconds and say, uh, some dude found it in Cloud City and uh, I bought it on the black market. Like, that would have been enough. But you, you set this up as, oh, there's a story and we're going to tell you. And of course, they never do. And, and at some point, it'll show up in, They've hinted at it. Like I think it showed up in the comics, but I mean, you you got to pay that off in a movie, don't you?
0: Well, I think, and I was going to bring this up if if you didn't bring it up already, is I think JJ is fantastic at uh, at setup, and he's he's not not quite as good at, at the payoff. Mm-hmm. And I think I think there's a lot that's that's set up in this film. Those are a couple of things that the Knights of Ren are set yep. up. And never really paid off. But the biggest loss for me is Captain Phasma, who even in this film, when she's introduced, uh looks awesome. Uh, you know, and uh I'm I'm forgetting the actress's name, but I i love her from Game of Thrones. Yeah, Gwendolyn Christie. Well, yeah, fantastic actress. So I was really excited when I heard she was ca- when she was cast, and uh she doesn't really do anything in this film. <laughs> like <laughs> no, like she looks great. Yes.
1: And JJ's on record as saying this is one of his favorite characters.
0: And sure. yet she's but doesn't she's not really do a character. <laughs> no. She's she, like a walking mannequin. Yeah. And and that was that was so disappointing for me. And I, you know, there's you know the idea of a Finn being force sensitive, which is never hundred percent paid off, you know, I think in like a very clear I guess what I would say is, like, he doesn't use his Force powers in, like, an obvious way. In Rise of Skywalker, it's pretty clear he uses the Force, but it's, like, he doesn't, he's not, like, a Jedi or something. Right. Uh, Where, like, Rey very clearly does the Force uh, mind trick. Right. There are a couple of clear indications. Exactly. So, it's, like, there's a ton of things that are set up and just kind of fall by the wayside a little bit. And that's disappointing to see.
1: Well, he doesn't. You don't need to because it just keeps moving. Which, again, this is. But this is. Yeah, this is the trade-off, right? That we, we're continually talking about this. That there's something else coming, mm-hmm. you know. So just forget about that. We're moving through here. One thing about that, though, um, that just reminded me of something else that I love performance-wise and costume is the way that Finn is shedding his costume mm-hmm. piece by piece. Which is a great metaphor, right? For him changing his identity and, and like shedding like a snake skin or just becoming this other person and, and leaving the stormtrooper persona behind. I think that's just, it's beautifully shot. And I think and it's conc- totally, it's intentional, uh, but a great use of costume change where you could have just had him in one scene, he's, you know, in this outfit and the next scene he's in this one or just junk it all at once. But it's this trail uh, of Stormtrooper parts, which is a great thing. I mean, Stormtrooper armor has always been, you know, it's always been pieces anyway, but we've never seen it put together or taken off that way. So it's just great to be able to use that functionality, you know, in this case as a metaphor.
0: I think that's a fantastic catch, something that I didn't notice. But, you know, speaking of like shedding your skin and becoming something different, I think The Force Awakens is that in a kind of meta contextual way for Star Wars you know, and we talk about the different style and and the rapid pace, this is a pretty different movie than all the previous Star Wars. And that really excited me because I think Star Wars as a whole series, as a franchise, is kind of stuck in some ways in the past. (laughs) So in some sense, I do kind of agree with Kylo in, in the last Jedi that I do kind of want to see the past die a little bit. And I think that star Wars as a franchise is sometimes caught in a nostalgia trap of, and I think like something like the wipes is a perfect example. Do you need the wipes? No, that doesn't make a star Wars film, you know, a star Wars film. Is it a, a a thing that star Wars films have used quite extensively extensively in the past? Yes, but I I think like The Force Awakens proves that you don't really need that. I think you can still have Star Wars without necessarily all the trappings. And I see that in a lot of the movies that Disney has put out. There's a lot of nostalgia baiting and getting fans to get excited about things with no actual in-context, like I should say in-story reason. Um, I, I think it's a little anticlimactic at the end when they put the map and in R2 and R2 like, you know, completes the map and it's just, Oh, that's where Luke is. And that's where the movie's ending. It's just, it kind of putters out right at the end. Yeah. And it felt, uh, three PO and R2 just felt shoved in there because we have to have those two in a star Wars film. I, it did. It just, it felt jarring to me. Um, and there's a couple moments in, in Star Wars films in general that, that just feel like they're they're put in there for fans, and and th- that tends to to pull me out a little bit.
1: So I, uh, you know, I, I kind of counterpoint to that. One of the things that I had was that R two is criminally underused, and so I'm gonna th- let me change slightly what I what I said so. You're saying they feel tacked on, that they're just kind of thrown in there. Mm-hmm. And I agree. And, and the thing with, like, 3PO's red arm, that's just silly. Like, that's just like, hey, there's a new action figure with a red <laughs> arm. You're not going to have them all if you don't have the one red arm. And then That, they that was one it. of the
0: better jokes in the movie, though. I, I thought that was oh. a, a good – I mean, that was that was so cheesy. I love the jokes. So I, I'm willing to give that a pass, even okay. though it was probably for – action figure but, but that's that, a marketing thing yeah.
1: they replace it at the end anyway
0: right <laughs> he's got the gold arm at the end
1: uh, but you know R2 shows up he does his thing at the end and R2 always saves the day or whatever he's tacked on but it's like if you're gonna have him in the movie have him in the movie yeah or don't mm-hmm. or don't have him in the movie then move on mm-hmm. but this kind of halfway thing of you know, BB-8 the new R2-D2 which you can kind of see from the beginning right that was like right. the first time I saw the movie uh, that was when, when Poe takes the little memory card or what have you, and sticks it in BB-8. And it's like, okay, well, that's like Princess Leia. Okay, boom, this is what we're doing. I see. Okay, the rest of the beats, I'm going to know how the rest of the movie goes right now. Like, you just unlocked Hero's Journey mode. Let's just let it roll. Ray's going to be Luke Skywalker and so on and so forth. But I don't know how you would do that with R2 in the same time. So it is Mm -hmm. kind of like, yeah, and having R2 be where BB-8 is there would be super repetitive but I don't know. I feel like there could have been there could have been more. Just pick one. Mm-hmm. You know, it's the same thing with Luke, right? You have Luke in the movie because you got to have Luke in the movie. Yeah. And I've heard the you know the the rationale of only having him at the end and having him as the McGuffin is because he's so overpowered that Luke would just crush anybody that's bad. You know, if he shows up on Starkiller Base, it's over, right? And so it's it's the Superman problem.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: right but i think that's so lazy like figure out a way to make him make a choice that's an impossible choice now you've neutralized him and it just drives me nuts that you don't get him until it like really that's it that was kind of the last when i when the movie was over i was like okay he was in it you told me he was going to be in it i guess he's in it and he doesn't even say anything
0: yeah now about luke I actually think you're 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 right on. And I think that Ryan solves that problem in the last Jedi. I think Luke is the most powerful force user in the galaxy at this time. Yeah. So who would he fight? Who right. who would be a challenge for Luke Skywalker? The greatest Jedi in living memory.
1: Yeah. Himself? And we'll talk yeah. And so we're gonna have to put a pin in that one because that's a great conversation <laughs> to have. I know, I'll like to talk about it right now. Um, but I was curious. Because there's two, two facial expressions from this one that, that stuck out to me this time that I really wanted to get your take on. And the first one is uh, is Luke's. When you see him, there, and uh, he, Hamill does such a great job of emoting uh, in that scene that there's countless different emotions that could be happening and thoughts that could be happening from him. And so I'm curious, like what did you think he was thinking do you remember what you thought he might have been experienced and what, what his next move would have been before
0: you saw Last Jedi? So where my, where my mind went was somewhere I had read that uh, one way that directors tell actors to act when they get close up is to not act in a way, and I'm paraphrasing, uh, but to to kind of under-emote uh, when it's ex- an extreme close-up, and the audience will kind of write in the emotion um based on montage and context and and they will put that in there and so i read absolutely nothing <laughs> because blank slate yeah because in my mind i'm thinking he is he's under emoting he's not reacting at all really right like he turns around and and he's kind of blank you can read anything into that And so in my mind, I thought, well, they're doing that intentionally because they, you know, they're leaving it open for the next film. You know, maybe he'll be upset. Maybe, you know, he'll welcome her. Who knows? Maybe he'll ask Ray to prove herself, whatever. So I thought he was a blank slate. (laughs) That's that's what my thought was when I saw that. What about you? I'm I'm curious what you thought.
1: No, this. Yeah. And I, I don't know if I can even remember. Uh, because context is is such a tricky thing, right? So now I look at it and I see, I see sadness. Mm-hmm. That's what I see now, and I'm not sure if it's is he sad that she's there and he feels sorry for her. It could be that. I mean, ultimately, now I'm thinking like, If someone came and bugged me, and didn't leave me here, and now I'm upset about that. Uh, and there's there's other things too, which we talk about the, the costuming, which you know it's not. Uh, it's not clear in the movie and it's not clear in the last Jedi either. But if you read the novelization of last Jedi, it, you know, he's wearing that set of robes because he was just about to go burn the tree. Like he just kept trying to buck up and go, I'm putting on the official, you know, the, the ornaments and, and I'm going to go take care of this in this you know really authentic way uh, with all the, the tradition and circum pomp and circumstance and whatnot. And then hadn't done it. You know, he had, chickened out again and hadn't done it. and that's why he's wearing those uh those robes and so there's a whole lot of other emotion there too like i failed again could be in, imbued in that uh, but the other so i don't know it is it is it's is a blank slate and i think it's beautifully done that you can read multiple things or whatever it's like a rorschach test right the other one though that i wanted to get your take on was after ray knocks kylo down and she's pacing back and forth This time, and again, having context matters, right? Having had two movies, including Rise of Skywalker, where we find out she's, spoiler alert, she's a Palpatine. I'm thinking, this girl tapped into the dark side of the Force. And that's why she was able to fight back so quickly, quicker, easier, more seductive. Again, I just watched Empire Strikes Back with my students. The only way, and this, again, I'm going to put it together. I'm going to do the mental gymnastics that she's able to take down Kylo at this point is that she's able to tap into that part of the force where it happens so quickly. It can happen to, you know, initiate who is willing to be taken over um, in that way. I'm curious about your thoughts on that.
0: Uh, I disagree. Cool. Uh, I think that, because that's that's pretty much right after uh, the the big moment where they like clash lightsabers and they're all paused and, Kind of grappling with each other to me through the music i think it's made very clear that it's the light side that she's channeling i i think that that channel into the dark side is something that you can read read into but it's it's almost more of a retcon based on rise of skywalker um I, I think that the intention and i think the way we're supposed to read it is that it was almost pure light side because the way i read ray's success with the force in last jedi is a direct extension of the fact that she is filled with faith she believes that she can do it and it goes back to empire luke didn't believe he didn't believe he could uh, raise the the x-wing out of the swamp and that's yoda's big point is you know luke thought uh, using the force to lift a rock was fundamentally different than using the force to lift up an x-wing he was he had no faith. He didn't believe. Ray is the exact opposite. She believes to her core that her parents are coming back for her. And it's like, no, they're not. <laughs> but but she fights for that belief in spite of the facts and the evidence and all that kind of stuff. And so I think for her she realizes that yes, she has access to this power, to this force she she can do this. She is a hero or can be a hero at least. And I think that's what ultimately powers her. I mean, she's clearly more aggressive, you know, at the end, but I think that's flowing from the light side of the force. See, I hear you. And I
1: know the music does back that up. My my curiosity just just goes straight to the face cuz it just seems so angry to me. And again, I could be reading into it because of the lineage that we get from it. I don't know if I thought of that before because mm. this is I've i have seen Force Awakens a handful of times, two or three times since I've seen Rise of Skywalker. And so, you know, everything takes on a slightly different meaning after getting, you know, these later movies and you get that context. But this time I looked at it and like, she just looked pissed.
0: But I mean, I, I, before I, she was determined. So, I mean, I see what you're saying and I, and I could totally be saying. wrong. Yeah, Because though, I think I think she is angry. I think you're right, but I think it's a righteous anger. Mm, Interesting. Because if you think about it, anger itself is not necessarily forbidden or bad, you know, for a Jedi. If it's righteous anger, if it's justified. I mean, we see plenty of Jedi who get angry, but for good reason. And she had just seen her mentor slain by his own son. I mean, that's enough to, you know, get your hackles up.
1: I don't know. Mace Windu, might have had a problem with that
0: though. Those dispassionate <laughs> yeah. Jedi Council members,
1: man. Those, you
0: know. Well, yeah, I but I, <laughs> no, I actually agree. And I think not, that I think that I think that's a perfect perfect reason. I think that backs my claim up because yeah. the Jedi Council was was all sorts of messed up. Right. They had dispassionate. All, yeah. They yeah. were all wrong. So.
1: Yeah, emotion is bad at all. Right. Right. That's the dark side. That's which, that's that's the logic. That's that's the doctrine of of the, the Jedi Council in the later years. Yeah.
0: Which is also kind of another setup of like this gray Jedi idea that has, you know was floating around internet circles. Yeah. Uh, you know, when the sequel movies were coming out, is like, are they going to go down this path of kind of gray Jedi? And I do think that's set up, you know, in this movie and the next, and then it kind of fizzles out and doesn't go, really go anywhere. But
1: yeah. Well, and we'll we'll talk about that more in the next film too. But I think you can argue that both Rey and Kylo have that you know like tap the ability for light and dark side equally, right? Yeah. That's kind of the whole appeal for Snoke, right? Is mm-hmm. is that they are equally proficient or have the potential to be equally proficient in both sides? Yeah. So, and we do see not to get too much into the weeds with Last Jedi that she does go toward the dark and then comes back, and so even her tapping into this whole Grey Jedi thing just to go a little farther, you know, she could tap into the dark side but not be possessed by it, if that makes sense. You know, she could be wielding that side of it and maybe a whole other thing could be, maybe there is no dark and light. They're just aspects of the same
0: thing. Two sides of the same coin. Right. I, I so think that, Qui-Gon would have loved Ray. Oh, yeah. You know, because I think that this is like right right of Qui-Gon's alley of, you know, a philosophy of... You know, you, you know, the ends can sometimes justify the means. And if he has yep. to break a small law, you know, do a small wrong for, for a larger good, then Qui-Gon would. And I feel like Ray is in that mold, too.
1: Yeah, I think that's a great point. So I wanted to talk a little bit about the fact that there's too many planets in this film that I don't know the names of from the <laughs> film. Because that annoys me. And I know because I read the I read the novel, you know, and I have the visual dictionary, and because and, I'm just a nerd about that stuff. But it drives me nuts that like we get Jakku repeatedly, which is fantastic. But you can't throw Takadana in there. Here we are, we're on Takadana. Here we are in Dakar. Why can't you do that? Because no nerds like
0: us just want to hear it. <laughs> I don't know. I, that's that's I I know what you mean. It's it's not something that, that bothers me, but okay. I, I, I get I get where you're coming from.
1: Yeah, that's maybe that's just a pet peeve. Sure, um, I do love um, the duel you mentioned uh, at the end with the red and the blue. That that's on a sound stage. That's I think my favorite thing with with setting design with this. That most of everything is is real world. They, they really tried hard to uh, to go I guess away from the prequel thing. If we're going to do a lot of things on green screen. And so you have, you know, Abu Dhabi, you have a lot of stuff filmed in England and like the forest in that. But this scene is they built a soundstage. How cool is that? That, you know, with movie magic, you make this forest, which feels like a real forest to me, um, but it's not. So I just like that's cool. Yeah. Uh, The big prop in this one uh, is Luke Skywalker's lightsaber. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's such a. Uh, a massive importance put on that. I remember hearing, you know, one of the potential openings for this film was uh, the lightsaber tumbling through space uh, and landing, that that was going to be, it's that important. You know, it it really is this Excalibur uh, motif. But uh, again, we don't really find out what happened to it, which again, kind of bugs me, but.
0: Yeah, I feel like that's the direction they could have taken it, that, that Excalibur direction. I think that would have been interesting. Although, and like, I, I see where you're going with it. I don't think they really did that in the film, though. No. To, to an extent.
1: Yeah. but You could make that the McGovern if you wanted. Yeah. Uh, Chewie's bowcaster is hilarious. And this is, again, talking about funny stuff. And I think you know, it, it's played for humor early because like, stormtroopers are flying all over the place when that happens. But I love the fact that Kylo gets hit by it. Doesn't go down. We've seen the damage this thing does. And so to use that also as a plot device... So if you have a problem with Ray defeating Kylo, you could say, "Well, guy just took a bowcaster shot to the abdomen. He shouldn't even be walking around." Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, not that. And again, tapping in the Force, Force controls your actions partially, also obeys your commands. All of those things, it's you can really easily just magic that away. It's the Force, but you also have the fact that guy's hurting something fierce, and you they may even make a point of it where he pounds his side and you see the blood. Again, there's the red color again. Yeah, yeah. And no, I had just just a few things, just kind of one-off things. Um, I would have liked more. Laura Santeca, Max Sydow is amazing. Uh, it's fine that he's just a little tiny bit in this film. I just mm-hmm. like really like that actor, and so like I'll take a prequel book. That would be that would be enough. Just have him in there, and I know that he's in the comics, like hanging out with Luke, and so they have some of that, um, which is fun. I just would like to see more of that character. Uh, Cranky Han is awesome. Harrison Ford plays cranky in such a beautiful way. where like, you're annoyed. You know he's annoyed, but you you just love him being cranky. It's almost like grumpy old men. Like he could be in that movie. Uh, Snoke. I'm glad with what they did with Snoke ultimately because I'm like, he's just a Palpatine stand-in, and now mm-hmm. he literally is. Uh, so I'm fine with that. Uh, I really like Maz Kanata. She's you know kind of the the Yoda stand-in, but she's not. She doesn't overplay it. I think she serves a purpose. I remember being surprised when uh, she was the one that Han was referring to. I know it's it's silly now to think you know Han says we're going to take her take you to see her, and I was like, oh, he's going to go see Leia. No, they're going to wait a beat for that, and you're going to get this other character, um, which was which is fine and cool. I think she's she's a, a really good character. Some new Force stuff in this thing. The main thing, I mean, freezing the blaster bolt is awesome, uh, but the thing that's that's new to the films, but also to, I think makes a lot of sense in hindsight is, uh, the psychometry. I think that's how you say it, where both Ray and Kylo have it, where they, they can read like memories of an object. Uh, I thought that was a fascinating, th- I really, the more I watch it, the more I really like the quote unquote force back, especially knowing that they're and that's a power that's, you know, been in, in Star Wars lore for a while. I mean, Quinlan Voss has it. Uh, you know, that's a, that's another canon thing that's happened. It's not not just random that she has this new power. So it's cool that they're building off of things and finding another way to kind of hint back at the past and, and tell the story without just straight out exposition. Uh, but it also makes sense too, where it's like, well, when we had this before, well, she must be a Skywalker or she must be a Kenobi because this memory. And it's like, no, she just has this ability. Period. Uh, so I thought that was uh, was great.
0: But uh, I mean, other than that, I think I think, I've... I think there's just a, like one or two things that I that kind of popped in. Um, I just have to say that like I love there's a couple shots early when Ray's introduced, and we've actually talked about this before very early in the podcast. Uh, there's a shot where uh, Ray first comes home to the ATAT, and you get the little shot of the uh, Rebel pilot doll. Yeah, uh, there's you know like the the dead flower. <laughs> And then she's scratching those prison marks on on the inside of her house. Um, all those little shots right there, I just I love them. They're very very brief, but they're fantastic little pieces of non-verbal storytelling. That I you know I just love that.
1: Yeah. So overall, I would say it's a little heavy-handed on fan service, a little bit for my taste. Um, not as much as I would say like Rise of Skywalker is, and I think that that's kind of it's it's weird. Like they kind of had to do that to hey, we do know Star Wars. See, it's okay. We're in, it's in good hands because we can still do those things. But all it's a deli- it's an incredibly delicate balance and a, a tightrope. So I mean, overall, I think that they crushed it. That it's a very entertaining film, and really, and you want to watch it over and over again. I mean, what more really can you ask? From a film than that, mm-hmm.
0: yeah. I think I think this was uh, like I said at the very beginning. I think this was a home run. Um, I think there's flaws. I don't think it's it's perfect, uh, but it's it's a really fun movie, and there's a lot to love about the film. A lot of love, uh, a lot to love about the characters. Uh, there's some fantastic filmmaking in this in this movie, uh, which I am continually excited to come back and kind of revisit all those little moments that, that stand out as little moments of depth of storytelling within the film. So as we close, we just want to say thank you so much for listening. If you would like to connect with us, you can find us on Twitter and Facebook, or you can email us at readingbetweenreels at gmail.com.
1: And if you haven't yet, please join our Facebook group. It's a safe place to share your thoughts and discuss all things related to movies.